guys, and welcome back to Group Therapy. I'm one of your hosts, licensed clinical social worker, Kristen Gingrich. I'm licensed psychologist, Dr. Kristen Casey. I'm licensed psychologist, Dr. Jessica Raven. And I'm licensed this- psychologist, Dr. J. <laughs> oh, you, you, you don't let me introduce myself anymore, okay? You're it's right about the island, Justin. I probably deserve it. It's fine. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. That was like a Freudian slip. Are you trying to like what are you doing? That was just like a ew. I'm sorry. This week we are talking all about health anxiety. So settle mm. in, take a seat, and welcome to group therapy. So health anxiety, right? You know, has always been there. I think has had, which we'll probably get into, an increase over the last three years, almost four, which is crazy to think about. Um, what is health anxiety? Like, let's start with like DSM criteria. What is it? What constitutes the actual diagnosis? Jess. I was like, I have my DSM pulled up. Um, So in the DSM, it's actually called illness anxiety disorder. And people might know it previously as hypochondriasis. So um, criterion A, a preoccupation with having or acquiring a serious illness. B, somatic symptoms are not present or if present are only mild in intensity. If another medical condition is present or there is a high risk for developing a medical condition, such as a strong family history, the preoccupation is clearly excessive or disproportionate. C, there is a high level of anxiety about health and the individual is easily alarmed about personal health status. D, the individual performs excessive health-related behaviors, for example, repeatedly checks his or her body for signs of illness or exhibits maladaptive avoidance, such as going uh, avoiding going to the doctor or hospitals. E, illness preoccupation has been present for at least six months, but the specific illness that is feared may change over that period of time. And F, the illness-related preoccupation is not better explained by another medical mental disorder such as somatic symptom disorder, panic disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, body dysmorphic disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, or delusional disorder somatic type. And then there's two specifiers. So there's either the care seeking type. So medical care, including physician visits or undergoing tests and procedures is frequently used. So these are the people that would like go to multiple doctors for the same problem to seek out a diagnosis. And then there's the care avoidant type where medical care is rarely used and these individuals avoid getting care, period, due to fear of actually getting a diagnosis. What are some thoughts on just like the criteria going through that? Anything stand out? I think I'm I'm trying to think too if like, you know, just say someone has legitimate medical issues, right? And then they're mm-hmm. seeking out doctors and they're worried and they're like, oh my gosh, like, you know, are my levels okay or whatever it is? I I think a lot of people might mistake the two of like somebody who has medical concerns that they've been going to the doctor for versus someone who may have gone to the doctor, they're clean, everything's okay. And they're still worried and that worry really impacts their functioning in their life. And then they consistently want to go 
and get more mm-hmm. tests, even though maybe the tests are negative or doesn't show any sign of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think really the notable feature that I look at is the anxiety really isn't better explained by other things either. You know, it's mm-hmm. just the medical stuff. Mm-hmm. And that preoccupation piece of like, even when you get tests done and you get feedback, it like doesn't really make it, it go away. Mm-hmm. That it's consistent and it's persistent in its presence, which again, I think for people who don't meet criteria for the disorder, you might have some sensation or something you might notice or something that is worrying you. And you go to the doctor, you get blood work done, you get certain things checked out. And as soon as you get the results, again, it usually alleviates that. That would go mm-hmm. away. You're like, oh, I got an answer. Or even if you get a diagnosis, you'd be like, oh, I know what this is. And now I'm going to take this thing. It doesn't mean you have no concerns. But this preoccupation of worry uh, isn't something most of us experience. Yeah. And I think the rollouts, and we always do that in the mental health field, was important to talk about the one that stood out to me is somatic symptom disorder, because mm-hmm. as somebody that works in a hospital, I probably see somatic symptom disorder more so than illness, anxiety disorder, because those individuals are actually having symptoms mm-hmm. of whatever, like whatever it's stomach pain, headaches, things like that. But just as you were saying, Justin, all those tests were coming back oh. negative. And I think a, core feature of illness anxiety disorder is that those somatic symptoms aren't actually present or if they are they're very mild in mm-hmm. intensity so it's that fear like something could happen or you have something even though you don't have the symptoms that align with such disorder mm-hmm. has anybody ever treated illness anxiety disorder or had their own experiences if people feel comfortable sharing with maybe not to the diagnostic criteria extent, but um, that preoccupation, the worry about having a medical condition. Yeah. Not frequently, but I've certainly treated um, a few different people are coming to mind that met criteria and it is, it's, it's difficult because in their account of it, it, it plagues the mind almost, and we'll get into the differences, almost so frequent that it feels like obsessive, like an OCD type thing. Um, and yet its scope is really broad in worry where a lot of OCD type, um, obsessions, they're so specific and they're usually about developing something in the future. Um, but yes, it's it's something that can be really plaguing just as general anxiety can be of like, it's a lot of different types of worry, except like, you know, pinpointed over like the broad landscape that is our health and well-being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think of one individual I've treated that really comes to mind. I've had others um, as well, but... And I keep going back to like, you don't have the symptoms or I can think of accounts where then the symptoms maybe were present, but then something as simple as eating more protein (laughs) or like getting more hydration. 
eliminated the symptoms, yet that preoccupation like was still there. And it, it is really hard because exactly like you said, Justin, it plagues the person and impacts every aspect of their functioning. And at least in my limited experience treating it, like these individuals are just like in the criteria, so attuned to any mm-hmm. bodily sensation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if something feels slightly off, even though it might not be a symptom of something, I always think of like the WebMD rabbit hole. Like you search like left toe pain and then it's like, you're dying. Oh, that's <laughs> it. That, you got minutes. Wait, I mean, every time. Yeah, you're done. Every time. But yeah, that's what I think of all the time. Like it's that catastrophization, like any sensation, especially for people that maybe are healthy or are in like physically healthy and in tune with their body and something is slightly mm-hmm. off, hyper-focus, catastrophizing, going down that rabbit hole of what could this pain in my left side be? Okay, now I have some type of cancer. Yeah, I've, I haven't treated anybody specifically with it, but I treated during my postdoc, I guess a sibling of someone who had it. And I just saw the impact on the family and it was hard, you know, because the sibling or my client was saying like, you know, I wish you would just look at the data and the labs and just like take that as truth, you know? And then for the the client, I guess not my client, but the other person, her sibling, um, it was regardless, like Justin was saying too before, like regardless of whatever the lab said or anything, there was still that, that worry. And then with anything like, you know, maybe heart palpitations after running or like something that might be seen as like normal. I'm putting this in air quotes um, for someone who's ran before, you know, um, for that client or that person, they were like, oh my gosh, like I'm dying or there's something wrong with my heart or I have to go get my heart checked. Um, and it's, I think it's difficult for family members, at least in my circumstance, um, it was difficult for them to know how to support um, their sibling really, because it was just, anything that they said, they felt like they couldn't really get through. Um, and like you said, it plagues the mind. So I think it is really difficult even for the person experiencing it. It's like, how do you get any reprieve really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever treated anybody with that severeness. Um, mm-hmm. I've definitely worked a lot with people who, you know, had the general anxiety around it. So that kind of more like, Oh, my leg's been hurting for a couple days. I'm kind of concerned about it. Oh, um, I, I got COVID and I'm really scared now of long COVID. Oh, um, I have, I have a family history of breast cancer. So I am super focused. I'm, I'm super worried about getting that. Like, and definitely there's levels within that, but I've, I've never treated anybody with like that kind of, preoccupation to the point of like we're we're seeking different doctors or we're we're seeking that um to that level or anything like that Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's interesting how in a lot of ways (laughs) i work with individuals i'm laughing because i'm thinking about my own ocd and how the mind gets so preoccupied and these thoughts can come up and then drive you know, behaviors and compulsions, but it's like, it's similar in that it's like the mind is constantly scanning for threats and like, well, what if, like, Mm -hmm. well, what if in the time in between me getting that 
you know, echocardiogram. I, my heart felt weird on that walk. Like, well, what if, you know, something's just developed and it's so difficult because with normally in our field with health related things, we're always like, go get that checked out, get that ruled out, make sure, you know, then make sure you're regularly getting your blood, you know, checked. But this is when I think diagnosis and labels is really important because if you struggle Mm -hmm. with, you know, I usually call it health anxiety, but illness, anxiety, disorder, being able to pause and ask yourself, is this my illness, anxiety disorder? Mm-hmm. Is this, is this who's driving the bus right now in this situation? Cause that is the only way you can start getting relief in stopping this repetitive behaviors that goes into hours of worry and checking mm-hmm. and researching that was so prominent in the clients that I've worked with. It's like getting their energy to go in any other direction then spiraling into the health anxiety, mm-hmm. which is hard, but it, it's funny. This is where I think like labels and being able to pause and identify what is happening is so key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause otherwise if you were like, yeah, go to the doctor. I mean, <laughs> you know, think about how that would, you know, just exacerbate that cycle of the catastrophizing and all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a hard balance. And I mean, this goes for us as mental health professionals who may treat it, but also K10, like you were saying, family members, because typically, like, if somebody comes in and is like, I'm worried about X, Y, or Z, physical health related, I will always say, like, go see a doctor. Totally. Um, mm-hmm. But for the individuals that's coming to mind, she was definitely the the medical care seeking type. And we just had to finally, like, I could see all the lab results because it was in my hospital system, like go through them and be like, okay, everything is coming up clear. We've run all these tests. We've done all these things. What else could it be? And like, let's talk about that. And, Mm -hmm. and that's a hard conversation. And it's hard for families too, because like they want to support their loved one but mm-hmm. they also don't want to like reinforce the anxiety. And, you know, as somebody that works with kids and teens, I talk to parents a lot about that, about like you want to support them, but not reinforce it. And repeatedly taking a loved one to the doctor or telling a loved one to go to the doctor. If somebody truly has illness, anxiety disorder, that's just going to reinforce that anxiety. Right. Um, and it's a hard cycle to break. And especially I would imagine for people that maybe, you know, have a loved one and don't really know what it is. Of course, you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, go get that checked out. Like, yeah, you right. and and then you're worried about them and things like that. But it's definitely a hard balance. That's something I've had to find, too, because I don't want to be like, well, check out, like, just go to a doctor and run tests and make sure everything's fine, because that can also perpetuate it. Yeah. It's like you're trying to teach someone how to widen the scope of their life, which is the hard part. And it's like, you know, not that we need to do this, but it's like, if you're out there and you're like, I don't relate to this at all. It's like, well, if you think about the things you've been fixated on in your life, everybody's had a period of time where you're fixated on something. I don't care what it is, your body, self-esteem, day, you know, something. The answer often isn't by like continuously spiraling within it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's widening out and being able to put energy in other places. 
and being able to be like, okay, if I don't step away from this, I'm not going to be able to get the wisdom or move forward or have balance in my life. That is exactly what you see in this disorder is it's Mm -hmm. just hijacking so much mental space and energy that it's, it's, again, it's really distressing. Imagine it even being hard for people with this to like trust themselves, just straight up trust themselves, right? Like, okay, like trust your body, trust your intuition. Like, where do you feel it in your body? Like all the things that I think about in therapy Mm. and Mm. how I would help someone navigate this because I've never treated anybody with it. I just would imagine it being such a journey um, that therapy would be helpful. I know we'll talk about treatments, but um, if you're, like you said, Justin, if you're kind of in that spiral and like you, you can't like widen it, my gosh, how debilitating is that? Mm-hmm. It's got to be so hard. Totally. So I know KBI brought this up when um, she was doing the intro, but um, I think it will be important to talk about like COVID and the impact mm-hmm. of COVID on illness, anxiety disorder, health anxiety. Um, does anybody, I don't know, have you seen it? Have you experienced it? Have people, have, yeah, have you personally experienced it? Have you seen clients become more anxious? I, th- I think COVID is a prime example of experiencing health anxiety for a large chunk of people. Maybe not to a diagnosis, maybe not to illness diagnosable level, but mm-hmm. health sure. anxiety. I, sure, sure, sure. A, a lot of people were fearful when COVID came of getting it. They were fearful mm-hmm. to go out. They were fearful, like sanitizing groceries um, because we didn't know about it. It was new and we didn't, we, we weren't sure about all of that. And I think like that is just a prime example of, of, you know, what health anxiety can look like. And then the fears, you know, even when we were, you know, coming out of it, I even find myself now, right? Almost four years later, my son, his stim is coughing right now. I'm like, bud, I love your stims, stim away. But can we choose another one? Because I get side glances, uh, even there are times that I catch myself having an internal reaction of COVID mm-hmm. and still having kind of that, that anxiety around that. Um, even to this day, just even though like, you know, vaccinated and boosted and all of this. Um, but I think that that's a very prime example of where a lot of individuals experienced health anxiety not only like individually, but just as a collective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there a finer line in our field than the line between whether something's protective or problematic? Oh my gosh. Like think how fine of a line that is. Cause in the COVID era, it's like everything KBI is talking about. It was protective. And there's still a lot of things we do that, People argue all the time through different lens, evolutionary or otherwise, the negativity bias, you know, you name it, that people will make the argument it's protective. And Mm -hmm. I think there's great evidence for those things. And at the same time, when you work in our field, you just feel it tip over when someone's in front of you describing their experience and you're like, this is problematic. 
in the hours, in the time, in the energy, in the mental space this is occupying for you, it is no longer protective. It is causing problems for you. Mm-hmm. But I just, just if you're not a therapist and you're listening to this, it is the finest of lines. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's hard sometimes to know of like, yeah, yeah, caring about your health in general can be really great for you, especially during COVID. And if it's preoccupying your time all, you know, most days and from, you know, six months into the future. No, this is a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that even that changes. God. Actually, no, no exactly. gonna, don't fold. I'm not going to fold. No, this because that's fold. exactly what I was going to say. So you say it. Hell yeah. Look at this teamwork. I love this. Um, for listeners, I, every time I interrupt someone by accident, I usually fold and like let them talk. So I'm trying to not do that. Um, now I lost my train of thought. Fuck. The fine line varies. There we go. Thank you. So I think the fine line varies with even from individual to individual to like mm-hmm. you're the line between it's helpful and protective and then it's problematic. It could look one way for one person and then another way for someone else too. like that line. It's totally. just so it's so unique. And mm-hmm. yeah. Kitty, what were you going to say? That's exactly what I was going to say. Look at us. Was was how, you know, just differs from someone who might like even just COVID someone who is immunocompromised Mm -hmm. and someone who is not. And they, and, and again, the way that that line can move for each of those individuals, as far as their energy put into that. Um, But I think, you know, we have seen that and we've seen that increase in health anxiety that continues to this day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, it's interesting because I still have my DSM up and I was like reading the criteria, like a preoccupation with having or requiring a serious illness. Like when we were in lockdown, like all, I mean, and beyond, but especially in lockdown, all we heard about was COVID mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. and yeah. how serious it is. And we don't know the outcomes, things like that. And then I'm like looking at criteria B and it's like somatic symptoms are not present or only mild intensity. And like, I don't know about you all, but like literally everything was a quote unquote symptom of COVID. So, yeah. And then you hear about the people that didn't have any symptoms, but still tested positive. So I'm like reading through the criteria and I'm like, no wonder people were so panicked or hypothetically could meet criteria for this because especially during lockdown, because as we say in every episode, COVID is still happening. Like we have a few cases in my hospital right now. Um, But like just, especially during that lockdown time, how could you not basically meet criteria for this? Unless you like didn't care, but um, just like reading through like high level anxiety about health. Well, all the messages we got were mask, wash Mm. your hands. Like, Mm -hmm. um, we perform excessive health related behaviors. We were doing that just like you were saying, just yeah. in that fine line between what's protective versus what not present for at least six months. We're coming up on year four. <laughs> like it just, which is crazy. I know, I know. It, but it, it just like for anybody that had any bit of anxiety or like KBI mm-hmm. said was immunocompromised or worried about their loved ones who are older and things like that, like especially lockdown quarantine kind of bred us to 
yeah. meet criteria <laughs> for illness, anxiety disorder. Yeah. And I just want to, and like, you know, being bred for that and like, we're probably a lot of us did meet the criterion during that time. Mm-hmm. And I know we're spending a ton of time talking about like the illness, anxiety disorder, but it's also important to know, like, just to reiterate that there is a normal amount of anxiety that we can experience when facing health related issues. Um, So like uh, two years ago, I went to the doctor and they felt a lump on my chest and immediately sent me into crisis mode because Mm -hmm. I have a family history of breast cancer. I set up a mammogram. I set all of that. And leading up to that, I was in kind of spiraling like the web MDing, the like constantly doing self checks. Like, could I feel what they were feeling? And in that moment, there was probably, there was a piece of that that was absolutely normal mm-hmm. because I had gotten this thing of saying, Hey, there could be something that's up. The difference was, is that when I then went and got my mammogram and I got my ultrasound and they came back and said, all clear, come back in five years. I was like, huh. Now there was a come down period of that. Like I wasn't immediately like, huh. it was still like up there a little bit, but eventually I came down from that. And now I just go get my mammograms like every year as I'm supposed to do. Um, but I think like, that's one of the things making sure as anybody listening to this is that, um, there is a normal amount of anxiety that we can experience when health related concerns do come up. Totally. And not every, and I was, I appreciate you sharing that because not every protective measure we take again is necessarily of like, Oh, this is health anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I, I think of that a little bit, not to completely pivot away, but post COVID how many people still on buses and other places will wear masks. Mm hmm. Again, I, there's a whole different conversations about effectiveness of masks, what types of masks, blah, blah, blah. I'm not getting into that. Y'all can debate that somewhere else. But I think there's, as a psychologist, when you're trying to figure out, is something problematic, you're assessing how much this behavior might be hijacking someone's life and creating clinical significance and work and interaction and mm-hmm. one's ability to take care of yourself. Wearing a mask on a bus isn't going to do it, folks. Mm-hmm. So if you just look at someone on a bus and you're like, they're wearing a mask, they got healthy. Probably not. Probably not. And again, there's cultural things too in Eastern countries. People have been doing this for a long time, long time. But Again, that's why there's nuance and individual differences, which I know K10 and KBI have harped on. But it's interesting with with talking about health anxiety and then talking about anxiety around health because it's like yeah. they're both so intertwined in what makes something, again, meet the criteria that just went over of, you know, the, the full diagnosable disorder versus what is sort of just protective, typical anxiety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, just to piggyback off of everything you all have been saying, like as somebody that works in a hospital, it is absolutely normal to feel anxious about any diagnosis or any abnormal test result or things like that. And if we reflect back to the criteria, the criteria specifically says an absence of symptoms. Um, And yeah, and it's also like 
literally every mental health condition in the DSM, how it impacts your functioning, mm-hmm. how much that preoccupation is overtaking. And exactly, KBI, what you said, once you get the results that confirm, hey, everything's okay, do you feel that relief or are you like, no, it can't be okay. Let me seek out mm-hmm. this other opinion. Yeah. Or are you on the other hand? Cause I think we've talked about like the seeking out type a lot, avoiding, avoiding. seeking any medical care yeah. out of fear of getting any possible bad news, which in the long run can actually hurt you more if you miss something. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I think that's something common that happens in a lot of families. Like you get sort of this older baby boomer generation that might be our parents, grandparents, whatever. And they're just like, I'm fine. And you're like, rub some dirt Are in you? It. <laughs> Can we get basic blood work here? Can we yeah. like, you got up from the chair and are wheezing. Like, yeah, like you just we, passed out. Like, let's like figure this out. You know what I mean? We, like, what's going on? Jeez. But I think that sometimes is such that drastic difference and the issues that, again, they both have their issues that they cause. Um, Even if you're even again, the clinical avoidance, but even that just general of avoidance of, um, you know, and I know that healthcare is a privilege. Mm -hmm. um, So I want to say that before, but you know, when we don't get our physicals for years and years and years at a time for a multitude of reasons, but, and then we go and we have a major surprise that our blood pressure is off the charts and our cholesterol is five times what it needs to be. And we're type two diabetic, all of which we could have taken care of before again, understanding it's a privilege. Um, but that fear or that just unwillingness to go as well, like creates that create situations that can then increase anxiety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and KBI going back to like describing nuance and things like that, you know, I think that's why in the mental health field, we can't just look at a behavior. We have to look at yeah. why the behavior is occurring because mm-hmm. are you quote unquote avoiding going to the doctor because you don't have insurance? You don't have the time off from work. Right. It's not accessible to you. Or are you avoiding it because you have this immense fear that your doctor is going to give you a life threatening diagnosis? So we oh, can yeah. look at two people and be like, well, they're avoiding seeking medical care, but the underlying reason why is very different. The first one is not a diagnosable anything. It speaks to our healthcare system and the need to increase access. The second may be more clinical that could be addressed and worked on in therapy if said person had access to therapy, because that is also Mm -hmm. a privilege. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you all know the treatments for illness, anxiety disorder, or want to go on any wild guesses? Probably fucking CBT. I mean, it's it been is. researched the most. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Called it. No. Yeah. First line is CBT. Um, I mean, it, well, it's psychotherapy, but CBT is the one that is most researched for illness, anxiety disorder. Yeah. Then I wonder, there's 
there's this thing we use in CBTI. It's called scheduled worry time. I know it's just a mm-hmm. basic mm-hmm. cognitive behavioral technique. I wonder if that would be helpful for those with illness, like who meet cri- full criteria, like having a specific time and schedule of when you worry and having it time limited. I don't know if that would help or harm, you know? I think it would help. Yeah. Because if you're like, I'm worrying eight hours of the day versus right. let me schedule right. my worry for 30 minutes. No. Yeah. Yeah, that feels very harm reduction-y, which for yeah. some people would make a significant difference. Mm-hmm. In the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. There's definitely, again, there's things that feel very uh, exposure response prevention, even though it's like mm-hmm. kind of not, but I'm sure there could be interventions drafted of like, how does it feel to be worried about what does this symptom mean and not be able to check? meaning not be able to go on WebMD. And so there is this like naming the anxiety, tolerating it. What do we do instead? Can we be anxious and invest our time and energy into things that are more rewarding, fulfilling, regulating? So there's a lot of built in sort of coping skills. I know I've worked with, with clients that I've had of if we're recognizing and then what, because mm-hmm. you're going to feel anxious. That's okay. Yeah. That's expected. But what are we going to do with that anxiety? Yeah. Yeah. And I think of, you know, especially if there's all the test results that say it's nothing, asking the qu- client, like, what else could this be? I know your anxiety like is telling you. And I always like speak that. that way. Like your anxiety is saying this. Your anxiety right. is saying it is this terminal illness. What else could be causing your headaches? Right. Let's go through how much your caffeine you're drinking. Oh, did you? Oh, you recently stopped drinking caffeine after drinking four cups of coffee a day. Let's go and assess that. Like, are you dehydrated? Like sunlight. I don't know all of these things and trying to have them generate other possibilities. Now their anxiety might come back and be like, well, it could be that, but it's definitely. Mm-hmm. This, but just Justin, exactly like you said, broadening mm-hmm. that like picture. Um, mm-hmm. And then the only other quote unquote evidence based treatment that I could find is SSRIs and SNRIs. So yeah. just how you would treat anxiety disorders in general. Mm-hmm. Know what else makes sense? I think it makes dollars. That's how <laughs> much we invest in. The Google Scholar shorts? Yeah. Okay. What else like, are we talking about? I don't, you were pointing Jeez. and I was like, I was, are you investing in me? Was, are you investing in... I never know what to expect from Justin, so I just... No, I, was, exactly. was I just setup. let him do his thing. I just let him I do his thing. In person, you would have caught that, windmilled it, and dunked it. I would have like grabbed it. Well, yeah, because you would have pointed and like hit my face because we were so close to one another. We were, you would have been we were like, quite close. Right. <laughs> on our window side of the table staring out to the passerbys so we I, saw still, graphs. I still love that you guys were concerned about K10 and I and then Justin <laughs> just like loses his mind over seeing someone he knows yeah we had to look at a blank wall and Justin and Jess the whole was, like every single podcast I'm not complaining but yeah you it had was all like, those podcasts yeah yeah <laughs> In the back, I could have. Yeah, I did focus on one for a little bit, but like the one I about, about Barb Op- being awesome. What was that? There's the one about Barb being awesome. Oh yeah, or whatever. I but I do think if I was on the other side, I would. 
definitely be distracted. Oh, absolutely. I got distracted mm. by the dog. I was like, I want to boop that dog. <laughs> Anyways. Short, but the shorts. But the shorts. Okay. So this is a very broad question because I really didn't know how to ask a question that wouldn't give away specifically what the study was about. So I'm just going to ask a very broad question and get your thoughts on it. So how do you think health anxiety impacts individuals who have experienced a significant medical event, such as a stroke, for example? Impacts them. Oh, wow. It's very broad. Just share your thoughts. So they already had health anxiety and then they had a stroke? No, no. They already had, like, they had a medical issue, like a stroke. So how do you think developing, like, do you think they're more likely to develop health anxiety? Yeah. How do you think that's going to impact them? I think, I think I would suspect more likely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. More likely to develop health anxiety. I agree with that. I even think too, like, I'm just kind of thinking like detailed, like they're probably going to be like the health seeking ones, potentially, if they, Mm. potentially, if they had something ready. Okay. So going to give a little background. So obviously if someone experiences a stroke, that's significantly impactful on their health and strokes. If you have one, there's an increased risk of recurrence. So stroke survivors are at risk of developing anxiety related to their health. Additionally, for stroke specifically, there's an overlap between somatic symptoms of anxiety and symptoms associated with a stroke, such as like lightheadedness, dizziness, in turn, leading to increased vigilance and bodily sensations. So this study specifically looked at stroke survivors and of the sample, almost one third, so 29.52% of participants met clinical criteria for illness anxiety disorder. And then interestingly, when compared to those with like low health anxiety versus the high health anxiety group, the high health anxiety group was found to have significantly lower levels of quality of life and significantly higher levels of depression, generalized anxiety and disability. But even more interestingly, this, I felt like this was a really good study, they looked at like all the variables, the low and high health anxiety groups did not differ on demographics, type of stroke experience, number of strokes, whether the individuals had aphasia or time since stroke. So those aren't necessarily factors in determining Mm. who is more likely to experience health anxiety after a stroke or not, which was surprising to me. I was like, oh, maybe if you experience more severe Mm-hmm. Right. Of a stroke or more strokes, or it just happened, but there was no significant differences so among wild. the groups. I was expecting there to be. Like, yeah. For sure. Hmm. Wow. Initial thoughts, reactions. What you expected. I'm glad <laughs> yeah. you clarified that last point because, I, yeah, I was curious about that. But it just goes to show with anything how, like, mental health impact on physical health and then mm-hmm. of course physical health impacts mental health but like if mental health is present we need to address it address mm-hmm. it and like mm-hmm. time energy and resources and not dismiss it like that last point that you made in the high health anxiety group how it's correlated with all these other things that you don't want mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't want any of those things that it just shows like yeah we need energy and resources poured into mental health and 
I mean, there's a reason Jess works at the hospital. In conclusion. That's that's the summary of the Google Scholar Shorts. Jess (laughs) found an article to justify her job. Job. That's what that was about. This is why I'm needed. Good good job. Job security. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it was... And like one, it's when I was reading these, this article, I was kind of like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like higher mm-hmm. health anxiety, lower quality of life and things like that. But it's one of those things, like, unless you actually research it, right? you don't know. And one third, like meeting clinical criteria, that's yeah. a that's lot. Huge. And huge. especially if we don't know, it's not like, oh, all the people that have, and I'm not an expert in strokes. But all the people who have strokes that end up with aphasia are more likely to develop. So let's target them. It's like we don't know who is going to develop it. So let's target everybody and address it, just like you were saying, Justin. But I think you make a good point, too, because I think it's very unsuspecting. Like you don't I don't think people would know if they had full if they met full criteria or not. You know, because they just think, oh, I'm just caring about my health or I just want to be safe or something like that with my body. But so interesting to think about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what else is interesting? The polls. They are. Justin doesn't think the so. Polls. I love them. The polls Justin's hate you, Justin. Group members don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So I asked a bunch of questions about health anxiety and I said, the first one was, do you know anyone with health anxiety? Yes, no, maybe, but not formally diagnosed. I would say the third one. Maybe, but not formally diagnosed. Yeah, me too. Actually, 46% was yes. And then 34% was maybe, not formally diagnosed. Yeah, I was shocked by that. Okay. I, I wonder if they just attribute it to just generalized health anxiety or that more intensive illness disorder. If I would have have said, do you know anyone with illness anxiety disorder? I think this would look completely different. I I agree. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Okay. The next one is all are symptoms of health anxiety, AKA illness anxiety disorder, except um, our group members got it right. It's a very long one, but basically it was like preoccupation <laughs> with the idea of being seriously ill, uh, finding literal little or no reassurance from doctor visits. Um, and the third was obsessive thoughts and compulsions. And that was the one that they got. So great, just, great work. I like when you have the polls, you tend to quiz them. Like oh, you, yeah. I always know K10 is going to try to quiz you. Because if you're ever going to, if you ever go on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, we want to contribute to your success. So we want to help Really, it's good to know. Okay. Phone phone friend. Friend. Podcast K- is get K- phone. K-10, K-10 will be my phone a friend. 100%. Oh my God. I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking about if you phoned me, I probably wouldn't take you seriously and I wouldn't even help you. I'd be like, she wouldn't lie. answer. She would be like, I'm in a session. Oh no, KBI. actually that's a lie. She would absolutely <laughs> ignore me. You know who my friend would be? chat gpt oh my gosh yes <laughs> I'd be like, yes they, they probably can't phone a friend anymore or like i would call, I would call them like robert but i just have my <laughs> friend like hold chat gpt robert. up to the screen robert. robert knows the answer we all need a robert i feel I feel like this day and age, I would just, if someone phoned me, I'd be like, yeah, uh, which one is it as I'm Googling it? Oh, that's what they oh, yeah. do. Yeah. But they have like, what, 
10 seconds to answer. We have 10 seconds, but yeah, I've so- literally, in an episode I watched, we're really sidetracked, but in an episode I watched, <laughs> the person paused for a long time, like eight of the seconds. Like, there's like two seconds. And then they confidently out of nowhere, it was like, the Sistine Chapel. And they're like, <laughs> and it cut off. And it was like, it took, like, they were literally searching, like, because they were dead silent for like eight of the 10 seconds. And then they just came through, like, with 100% the right answer. I was like, what? That's when you hold the phone up and do, like, text-to-speech on your computer. So, you're getting the answer <laughs> as the person that's asking the question. Anyway, so back to the polls. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I'm just thinking about all the people that cheat on who wants to be a millionaire now. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, health anxiety has an estimated prevalence rate of up to blank percent in medical settings. 5, 10, 15, or 20 percent. In medical settings? Medical 20. settings. Yep. I don't know. I'm so that's the correct answer because yeah. Jess is never wrong. But our group members thought it was 15%, which I thought was a valid oh, guess. So. That's a great guess. Great guess. Um, yeah, I did quiz them this time. Oh my gosh, this literally <laughs> looks like the Angel of Pain. Okay, somatic, it's like a somatic high school, a high school mm-hmm. psych exam. Mm-hmm. Hey, they got this one right too. But somatic symptom disorder and blank replaced the term hypochondriasis in the DSM. Uh, generalized anxiety disorder, illness, anxiety disorder, or agoraphobia. This was illness, like a anxiety disorder. Yeah. You guys are great. Okay. So then I asked them, what are the risk and protective factors for health anxiety? What do you think makes it worse or makes it better? And uh, Google WebMD makes it worse. <laughs> Yeah, uh, makes it worse. WebMD. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, someone actually said a risk would be a past diagnosis of a chronic disease, which we covered in um, Scholar Shorts. So that's interesting. Aging would be a risk. Um, invalidation, quality access mm-hmm. to healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, having someone who listens to you and advocates could be protective. Yep. Yeah. Googling. Uh, there was, a, I feel like a majority of these were like Googling, <laughs> Googling self-diagnosing symptoms. Um, the professionals that dismiss concerns could make it worse too. So absolutely. There were also so many great ones. What were you going to say? I was about to say, and I don't know about you all. Like I am well aware if I go on WebMD, I'm going to get ridiculous things, just... but you bet I start feeling something off. The first thing I do is Google. Absolutely. Like, even though like, yeah. I know, unless I'm at work and then I will ask a physician I work with. But like, if I'm like at- <laughs> the real life WebMD, because I am living for just how ethical oh, I, you are in your personal life too. Like, I know I do that. Or like if my daughter has anything, I work with a bunch of pediatricians. I'll be like, Hey, so this is going around. Like, I remember the, this is a tangent, but the first time <laughs> I got a notification, like RSV was in her classroom and I work in a hospital. I only see like the babies that like end up on vents from RSV. So mm-hmm. I go to one of the pediatricians I work with and I was like, there's RSV in the class. What, what signs and symptoms should I look for? And he was like, she should be fine. Like she's a healthy baby. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> but yeah, I just go ask them. Which doesn't surprise me from Jess in the slightest. No, I was just like, but yeah, I don't know. Do you all do that? Like, do you Google if you're like... <laughs> I, this is going to be so crazy, but I text my mom first, even, and she's probably going to give me a worse, a worse answer than Google. She's going to be like, honey, oh my God, you're dead. And then I'm like, oh, fuck. okay. So then I go on Google and then Google says I'm dead. And then I'm just like spiraling. Like, it's just like, Donna and Google. Donna and Donna's Google. like, 
you, oh, you're already deceased. What if you have a kidney disorder? Like she had me convinced one time that I had something wrong with my kidneys, even though like nothing was wrong at all. So I'm like, why'd you text her then? If you I know, it's like a habit thing. I know it's habit. bad, but it's I still do it. It's a problem. Like Justin would say, it's problematic. So I gotta, I gotta fix it. <laughs> you're like, one mom, my, my head hurts. And Donna's like, mm, urinary tract infection. Oh, sounds like a hemorrhagic stroke. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> one of my favorite shows as a kid was whatever was on the health channel and it was like the undiagnosed diagnosis like i forget what the first word was but like it was like people going in trying to figure out like they had like all these weird symptoms and Mm. i can't remember house were you watching no it was like no it was like real it was like It, it was like dramatizations of like real stories from doctors and like oh, i like convinced really myself acting. it was like this guy came in with a brazil parasite in his brain and i was like well i have a headache i have the i have that brazil parasite and i'm like i've never been to brazil in my life <laughs> that would that was me now i'm better oh my god <laughs> you got the brazil kind parasite of. out of your brain yeah okay well gpi oh my this section, I don't have what I was gonna say. This section of the podcast for those of you with health anxiety is just just a low end exposure. We apologize. Yeah, wow. <laughs> but we, what we <laughs> don't apologize for is all your amazing group members. Thank, thank you, Justin, because. I was trying to figure out how to transition from a Brazilian worm in the brain. <laughs> I think so. Wow. To normalize what we just did there, there is this part of like, we people do this. We do this. We get yeah. worried about health. Getting worried mm-hmm. about health, again, is a common occurrence. And for people, unfortunately, where this is an everyday thing and meet criteria for illness, anxiety disorder, it is a different, mm-hmm. it's a different beast. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So thank you as always for your group member questions. Um, We got a lot of them. A lot of them were similar. So for those that are similar, I'll try to condense them. Um, But one of our most popular questions came from Jessica from Connecticut, Elise from Miami, Florida, and M from Wisconsin. What is the difference between health anxiety and OCD? And we've already, Justin, you've kind of touched on it, but I figured since three people asked, we should give some more time for this. So difference between illness, anxiety disorder and OCD. I mean, they they feel very similar, like Mm -hmm. they really do. But I mean, OCD, it's the repetitive, obsessive, intrusive thoughts that tend to be very specific in nature and can lead to compulsive behavior. And again, with illness, anxiety disorder, it's this broad, pervasive worry about different health conditions, no matter how many tests you get done. And again, there's the overlap. There's a lot of overlap that can be in there, but the categorization of this anxiety in the way that it's experienced and you either lean into it or lean away from it is different than just having these fixated intrusive thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when I read that, you know, this probably sounds obvious, but like OCD is also not just about health and illness. So there's Mm -hmm. other 
subtypes Correct. as well. Um, and the DSM actually has a little section differentiating them. And one thing the DSM says is an illness anxiety disorder, the, the preoccupation is usually focused on having the disease. So you're just like constantly thinking about currently having the disease where in OCD, if you are having health related thoughts, the thoughts are intrusive and usually focused on fears of future. getting the disease yeah. in the future. And that's a big distinction. It's not like I have it. It's, oh my gosh, what would happen if mm. I have that? And then in OCD, you have the compulsions involving, you know, around like preventing you from getting the disease versus right. illness, anxiety disorder. You, your anxiety has convinced you you already have it. Yeah. And it's, it's so rare much. for someone with OCD to have only one subtype. Mm -hmm. That's pretty rare. So again, just as another wrinkle. Yeah. No, that was a good distinction. That was really good. I didn't know that. Honestly, I learned something new. Yeah. So we kind of touched on this, but I also like not specifically, but Megan from mystery and said, what's the difference between health anxiety and being nervous or anxious for a medical test or doctor's appointment? Hmm. I would imagine that the, the nervousness that you feel um, is probably normal if you're going to get a test, right? I mean, I would imagine like if I had to get a medical test or something, I, I'd, I'd be worried about it. I'd be like, oh, I wonder what that's about, you know, or I'd be curious or I would be apprehensive about it. But um, I think like everybody's been saying with the health anxiety, I think that if... I guess it could go multiple ways, but the one way that I'm looking at it is if like you were to get a medical test and it didn't calm that nervousness down that you might have or that anxiety or that worry, then maybe um, that would be the distinction. But I'm even thinking about people who like are just nervous for the doctor's appointments, like don't really like being around doctors and like stuff like that and don't trust doctors too. I mean, there's so many layers to this one, but those were my initial thoughts. I also think someone, again, having worry as you go towards the exam, like as you're saying, it's going to relieve and yeah. exactly somebody struggling with the health anxiety. It's, it's, it's six month minimum, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That it's likely been there before or and after a single exam or appointment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like we already highlighted, but just to, highlight again with illness anxiety disorder it's the preoccupation with having a serious illness mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. could you right. be getting a medical test that may show something like a serious illness absolutely but if the anxiety is for the test or the appointment by definition it doesn't necessarily meet criteria for illness anxiety mm -hmm. disorder So Lily from Germany asks, how can we deal with the fear of getting sick and something terrible happening? And then she goes on to say like exactly what we talked about since COVID, this is really heightened. She's constantly scared of catching something either for her or that could harm someone she loves. Um, and she is forced to face her fears because of her job, but wants to feel safe again. So what are y'all's thoughts? Mine's more philosophical. I, and I don't know if it would be helpful or not, but I dropped this philosophical thought on you. 
if you're privileged enough to live, you know, long enough, if all of us are, we're all privileged to live to a hundred hypothetically, if we are, you are going to have something medical happen to you. Mm -hmm. And this gets into death anxiety. We will all eventually pass from this life into whatever may be next. The question then is, how do you want to live with however much time you have? There's something of a philosophical turn that has to happen in our mind to be like, there will always be what ifs. I may at any point get sick. It's inevitable I will get sick. And it doesn't answer the question, what would I like to be doing with my time while I'm here? What would I like to be doing with my time right now? Do I think it's that simple for people? No, of course not. But do I think that component has to be there? Like sort of an over global acceptance of part of being human is we do get sick and that we do die. Yeah, you have to embrace that in some part if you want to truly live. I love that because I think it's philosophical, but it's also incredibly realistic. You know, if you really think about it, I mean, expectation management, perfect example of like, it's going to happen, you know? Um, but then I think the second part of what you said is really kind of where people start to feel some freedom from their mind of like, how do I actually want to live my life? Like, how do I want to spend my time? You know, um, I even think to add on to that, I think um, something that helped me personally during COVID was looking at science and research mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, even with other medical stuff um, that I've had personally, like just kind of looking at the stats and success rates and, um, you know, risk and protective factors, just doing a lot of research on Google Scholar was really helpful for me. Um, and then even some of my clients who deal with medical things, um, I'm just thinking of a few and they say like, you know, sometimes I'll look at peer reviewed articles or I'll talk to my doctor just to make sure like certain I, I have like the right information, I guess. And then when you have the right information, you almost have to give yourself permission to not worry about it, you know, and say, I, I have enough information to feel okay about this. It doesn't work for everybody, you know, that, that route, but it was helpful for me and a couple of my clients. So, um, Ani, I believe, and I feel bad because Ani has written it, written in before. And I always say, I'm going to learn how to pronounce his name from Germany. And I always forget. So, um, A N N I, I promise for next time. So, he asked, how would you help someone with health anxiety who already has a real health issue and worries they're going to develop more or more serious ones? I mean, my gut, like, especially if you're not a mental health professional, this is a loved one, is validate that they've experienced a health issue and that that's scary. Um, and... You know, it. I, I think about this a lot in the, like my work in the hospital, you know, when people are like, oh, I'm just scared X, Y, or Z is going to happen. I'm like, it makes sense given your health yeah. history. Yeah. Like it, it makes sense. And I mean, you know, I'm always for like asking a loved one, you know, what can I do to help? Things like that. But, you know, finding that balance between reassuring them, validating them, but also like not feeding into mm -hmm. the anxiety. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I would, I think just nailed it on the head and you're trying to just like separate the two of like, 
validating our emotions and what we're feeling is always necessary. And if you've ever met criteria and you really have health anxiety, it's important to know who is driving the bus at any time. Because again, we can be validating, we can be expressing, and then it, within the next moment, we can be spiraling. And that's being able to pause and recognize and be like, oh, but that's my, see, that's my health anxiety. And at some point, again, like we talked about that fine line of it's tipping over into, this is consuming hours of my day and I don't want it to be anymore. So what are the strategies I have in place to pivot, to move away, to invest my time and energy into, yeah, how I want to be living? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So I'm going to pair Sarah and Amy's question. So Sarah from Newfoundland, Canada, exclamation point, asks, can health anxiety stem from family-based trauma, i.e. fat shaming, family health history, et cetera? And then Amy from Maine asks, could this develop from medical trauma? I have medical trauma from an incident with my son, and I sometimes obsess about him being okay. I don't know, but my gut with the family-based trauma question, like can anxiety stem from that? I, I wonder if like, if there is trauma and some people might compensate or deal with their trauma by trying to gain a sense of control of their environment or, or like control of things. And they might focus on one thing, you know, to try to not control, but like to focus on. I do wonder if that's kind of maybe one theory. Again, I don't know because I don't work with illness anxiety disorder often. Um, but I'm sure that family-based trauma would have somewhat of an impact, I would imagine, for yeah. some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I looked up, because I, I was doing the questions, I was like, let me make sure I have some answers. So we don't actually know what causes um, illness, anxiety disorder, but some theories out there, you know, history of childhood abuse, a serious childhood illness, an illness in a parent or family member death of a parent or guardian Mm. during childhood can all predispose to the development of um, illness, anxiety disorder. So I would definitely, especially for the medical trauma, but um, just like Sarah said, family health history. Absolutely. Like if you have a parent with a certain disease disorder, so there is that risk of you developing it because genetics, but you become obsessed and preoccupied with symptoms. Absolutely. I mean, that's, I mean, that's my life right now in a way. Like I had, you know, some big health scares last year that predisposed to that caused a lot of anxiety that caused a lot of change. And there were times that I had to balance out that and have to fact check, look at the numbers, look at those things because I would catch myself going every pinch that I had in my chest. Is this a heart attack? Is this? And instead it was like, no, it's because I had six espresso shots in an hour, Kristen, like, but like using, like I had to, I had to challenge that because if I let myself go down that, I, it, I could have let myself go down that. Um, but it very, it very much can like cause that even just like that, maybe not illness disorder, but even mm-hmm. just that anxiety of like, I'm more aware, right? Mm-hmm. I am more aware of, I know I talked about this earlier. 
I do monthly breast exams on myself. One, because I think it's important that anybody who has breast tissue, which is all of us, should do them. But I specifically do them because of the health history. And so, I, but I also make sure that I check myself emotionally to make sure, like, where is my anxiety sitting in this? Like, and doing that, like, there is that balance as well, where we, where we take precautions. And I think we talked about that. What was it, Justin, that you said? Uh you you created a differential and I can't remember what it is off the top of my head from oh, pretend mind versus problematic. problematic. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. So Kate from Arkansas, I love this question. How to support someone with health anxiety while also maintaining my own boundaries? I found that listening to the constant worry and doubts about doctors can be really draining for me, but I don't want to be completely dismissive and I don't want to feed into the health anxiety. We love someone setting boundaries over here on this podcast. (laughs) Again, I think this is when having labels is so key. Like, is this someone, do they know they meet criteria? Mm. Like, because if you, if they do know that, I think in having like some sort of label there and just being curious and be like, I hear your concern. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I hear that I'm hearing that anxiety for you. Uh, I'm curious, like, do you, do you think this could be your health anxiety? Like, again, I don't feel like that's an overstep. I think it could not land well if the person doesn't realize they have Mm -hmm. the disorder or diagnosis. Mm -hmm. But I think when people do and they share that they struggle with that, again, you can validate that they're anxious. You can validate that this feels stressful for you. And again, I don't feel like it's overstepping, you know, gently pointing them of like, yeah, do you, is does it feel like your health anxiety is like in control right here, like controlling you? I think that's being a compassionate friend in person and not watching your friend spiral and be like, well, I'm just going to let them spiral right in front of me. And again, it's not your responsibility on the one hand, but at the other hand, like sometimes people are so worried about overstepping that I don't think they do sort of like a bare minimum of like, can you just name it? Just name what you see. Yeah. Yeah, And this is more general, but I always like to like teach and use the line if whatever it is, but you know, if hearing about the worries and doubts is draining for you, just saying something like, I know this is really, anxiety provoking, whatever you want to put for you. And I want to show up for you. I'm not in the space right now where I can show up for you the way I want to. Hmm. And so if it's okay with you, could you reach out to someone else? Could you do this? Because I want to show up for you the best I can is that's protecting your own mental health because I'm sure. And Kate, I don't know you. So maybe you are a much kinder person than me, but I find when I am like not in a good headspace and somebody is like venting to me and I'm just getting like frustrated or irritated or I'm thinking about Mm -hmm. my own stuff and I'm more likely to be reactive than compassionate and show up for my friend in the way I want to. Or even going back to what Justin says, I'm more likely to probably not point out it's health anxiety in a curious 
compassionate man. <laughs> sure. Totally. Jess, you just did deer man like beautifully, by the way. Like that was a beautiful Look at all these man. DBT yeah. skills that <laughs> I'm just so like cool. pulling out. Like every line. Pulling her. Pulling over used, to the side. And you used deer man for boundaries. <laughs> so it was, it was perfect. Perfect. Perfect, Justin. It's perfect. <laughs> it's so perfect. Pulling Jess away from... I don't even know what this side would be called. Just not quoting DBT every two minutes. <laughs> Well, I think DBT is yeah, great. Like, it's fine. It's awesome. But I don't know. Because I wouldn't even say we're more of an eclectic approach because I feel like, I mean, K10, you talk about all the time how you're eclectic, but I don't know. I don't, I, don't know. I, I use DBT, but I actually don't use DBT that often anymore. I used to, but. Do you still have the giant workbook? Where's the spiral bound book that every DBT person has that they just tote around and it's like. It's literally on my KBI is going into her shell again. Um, Okay, well, excuse me. I have the workbook, the handouts, the student, the the actual book for the clinicians. I got like four other workbooks. I got a workbook that I made myself. Okay, so DBT you is did a pull that out. She's extreme. I did. Just saying. Wait, no, that was like I pulled that. When did I? Pull, I pulled that out like way back when for our BPD episode. I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm just jealous of all the skills. It's just, it seems cool and great. The skills are it's like... Really, uh, that's why I love it because it's yeah. it's so... You, know, you can use it so universally. Mm. Mm-hmm. So. If people want skills. Yes. And I don't say that dismissively because no. some people... No, it's true. It's true. Don't yeah. want skills. Mm-hmm. They don't. Yeah. Which it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So... Um, I'm going to pair Caitlin from California and prefer not to or prefer to stay anonymous from the East Coast together. So Caitlin asks, since many people have health difficulties, what are some ways to distinguish realistic concerns from excessive ones? And then um, anonymous asks, I'm curious about how you think about or approach health anxiety in those with chronic illness. Gave us a lot of context about her own experience. Um, but then basically asked about this intersection and how do you approach it? And then they did say, especially for Dr. Jess, who probably sees this a lot, which is true. I didn't read that just a bit. Yes. Um, but I will let anybody else answer first if they have thoughts. I I know with me dealing with the neurological disorder, Chiari, I have this is it's interesting because I, I was reading the exact words that both of them have wrote of like realistic concerns. Mm-hmm. The thing I always try to zoom to when I'm stuck in worry is what can I actually do? Mm-hmm. What is it I can actually do that hasn't been done that has some sort of utility? Because worry, we all do it. It's not about being guilty or shameful about it. We all do it. But I try to catch myself in it and be like, I'm worrying about that I'm having more flare-ups and this is going to become more chronic again. And I'm going to have to you know, be back, you know, seeing my neurologist all the time, being stuck in the MRI machine, t- you know, all the things. Like that's mm-hmm. typical worry spiral I'll be in. And then I'll catch myself and be like, okay, I'm just worrying right now. What actually can be done? And often for me, it's like you're having a bad symptom week. Mm-hmm. What can you do to make it through this week? If you want to schedule ahead and make an appointment with the neurologist and do all these things, you can do that. 
But what often happens for me is I just need time to sort of let this anxiety and worry wash over me. I ground myself in the things that work for me to regulate, pour my energy into and validate that I don't feel good right now. Like that's always valid. But I think sometimes the worry takes us into all these avenues where it's like, okay, but what can you actually do? Mm-hmm. And that's the part that for me that grounds me. And it's like, oh, in this moment, I could call my neurologist. I could schedule an appointment. Or, and even as I'm waiting for that, in the meantime, what's good for me? Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes we try to convince ourselves in some ways that the worry is effective. And again, I hope oh, that doesn't absolutely. come across as shameful because I deal with that myself. Oh, yeah. We think the worry is going to like get us to do more things something yeah. but but what are those things <laughs> necessarily right yeah other than reassurance seeking a lot um yeah no just i completely agree i always ask like my clients what can you do in this moment is there anything within your control that you can do to change this um but yeah both of you all use the word like realistic and an approach I take a lot with my clients with chronic illness is, and this is very CBT, but like looking at the evidence. Okay. Mm. Like that you are fearful. This is going to happen again because it has happened X amount of times. Mm -hmm. That is realistic. Now, Mm -hmm. is there any part of this fear that maybe be is catastrophized? Um, I didn't read that, but anonymous talked about catastrophizing. Um, So, you know, maybe I'm, I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head, but nothing's coming to mind. So maybe they fear that the next episode of whatever they're dealing with is going to be significantly worse. Okay. Is it possible? And I'm, I'm very much like everything is possible. Like if it's within the realm of your chronic illness, but is it likely Mm -hmm. so based on your pattern so far, is it likely that this is going to happen? Probably not. Now, could X, Y, or Z happen again? Yes. And then I go exactly what you said, Justin, because we do think the worry is helpful. Then I challenge, like, is the is worrying about it helping you or harming you? What would you rather be doing than yeah. worrying about this <laughs> thing? Yeah. And that's where you can kind of see. And the only time I would ever... I mean, obviously it would depend on rapport, like really call out something that is like really excessive. If it's unrelated to the chronic illness, never happened before and kind of like way out of left field, but then we can identify that and reel it in. And exactly like Justin's been saying this whole episode, label it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just go back to what I read at the beginning with the DSM criteria. You know, we've been talking about health anxiety because like KBI said, it's much more broad than just um, illness, anxiety disorder, but it makes sense to be anxious when you have a chronic illness. So if we're looking at clinical criteria, are you having anxiety about symptoms you don't have? Mm. Are they preoccupying your time? Things like that. And that's when I would really draw the line of, is this realistic or is this becoming a maladaptive concern? So I loved this question as well. So Tatiana from Orlando, Florida asked about white coat syndrome. So asked, is there a treatment for it? 
Is it health anxiety? And gave an example that every time she goes to the doctor, her blood pressure is really high. We'll have a anxiety attack when the cleft's inflating and how to help. So thoughts on white coat syndrome. Can anybody define it? Isn't it just when your blood pressure increases when you see the doctor or when you're at a medical yeah. clinic? I actually have to Google it. I feel like. Yeah, no. yeah that's right. That's right. Is yeah, that, that's right. Okay. It's like yeah. this phenomenon. It's not a real like diagnosable disorder, but yeah, mm -hmm. it's like you step into the medical facility and your mm -hmm. blood pressure. Mm -hmm. Mine does this, which is the most ironic thing since I work in a hospital. I tell oh, people this too. all the time. Every time I go to the doctor, I'm like, you're going to have to wait to take my blood pressure or take it now and take it at the end because I promise you it will be high. And they're like, I'm sure you're fine. And then they take it and they're like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, let's take that again in a few well, minutes. Let's, let's circle back around. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, um, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a real thing. I think if you just from a compassionate zoom out is like, who's having fun at the doctor? <laughs> I, I mean, realistically, do you like the aesthetic? Oh God, is that no? It's the worst. And we are, we already have this data of what environments, even colors, and all the types of things have like impact on you. Yeah. But if your brain is associating with everything you see as like trauma and you watch Grey's Anatomy and you're like, you know, all these things that get queued up in the brain, your brain is so intelligent. It's associating all these things and your past experiences and you're there in this place that feels stressful, anxiety provoking. It's a, just, a, it's a real phenomenon that happens. So just to validate that and like being aware of that. And if you're someone like Jess, where it happens regularly, like just having that information, but I've literally heard uh, doctors in situations being like, Oh, this might just be, we're going to check this again in a little bit. Exactly. Like Jess says, um, there's certainly there's on the fly breathing techniques and things like that you can do, but I just want to normalize mm -hmm. the environment. Yeah. The, environment. the vast majority of us, it's just a stressful environment. Mm -hmm. yep. It's like cold and sterile and like, not fun. I, I would imagine that like, wallpaper I, I, from the eighties. Oh, oh my god! Yeah, the oh, furniture. Yeah, yeah, literally. And I, I was just thinking about what Justin said. I'm like, I hate getting my blood taken. I pass out every time, no matter what. Um, and I'm like, okay, if I was outside in nature and someone who didn't have like a white coat on either came and was like, hey, let's sit in this hammock. I'll just you know look at your like. I'd be like, oh, chill. Okay, sweet. Like it would feel so different than going into a cold sterile clinic and like smelling the i don't know it just the smells the sounds everything like justin said i think it all that plays into it for sure and then there's me i'm like if you're trying to convince me to give you blood in the middle of the woods no I'd thank do you it. i'd, I'd rather do that see me and, yeah. me and kate said the chronic fainters yeah. like i'll do i'll try anything you can take my blood in my car like let me just I, not pass out in another freaking quest or blood bank I yeah. actually, one time, I literally wore a really fuzzy onesie because I'm like, oh, if I feel fuzzy and warm and cuddly, then maybe it'll be different. And it, it helped a little bit, but it didn't help a lot. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm just like, are you okay? Pass, passing out in like my Duncan onesie. <laughs> and just like, onesie. I was like, I, I literally will try anything to not change. Yeah, anything. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... So for me, 
like I, I've had this for years. Like I literally at one point was told to get a blood pressure cuff because they were so concerned. Cause they're like, this doesn't make sense. You don't have any risk factors for high blood pressure. Oh. And I take it at home and my blood pressure's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but one oh, thing, and this was really helpful for me. Cause exactly like you said, Justin, you can do some breathing techniques, but I had never thought about until my most recent doctor's appointment and the nurse, I was like, Hey, you take my blood pressure. It's going to be high. Take it. 10 minutes later, it will be low. And she's like, don't you work here? Because I go to the doctor within my hospital system. I was like, yeah. But she pointed out that so often when we're coming to doctor's appointments, we're like taking off work. We're rushing to get there. So like even just going Mm -hmm. there is stressful because we're like, oh my gosh, I have to get there before. Like, do I... I had to take off work to get here, traffic, all of those things. So you're rushing to get there. Then you get into the doctor's office and you're already like exactly everything. It's sterile. It's not comfortable because I mean, sometimes I'll try to schedule like appointments first thing in the morning, but like usually there's just stress around scheduling doctor's appointments as well. And that really helps shift my perspective too. that. It's like Mm -hmm. not just even entering, just entering the building. It's all the other stress Wow. Around it. Um, so what mm-hmm. I try to do in the waiting room, I try to do some like deep breathing, grounding, nice. mindfulness. But I just wanted to share that um, tidbit in case Tatiana, that's helpful um, for you as well. Mm-hmm. That it might not just even be the doctor's office. It might be everything mm-hmm. surrounding mm-hmm. having to make a doctor's appointment. So we got a bunch of questions about treatment. We've already talked about it, but I did want to read this part of Megan's question because she says in the friendship episode, I love that Dr. J didn't know where South Dakota was. That's all. (laughs) No, Megan, listen, I know you're South of Canada, West of the Atlantic ocean and just uh, somewhere North of Mexico. And that's where you are. Okay. Yeah. Oliver could tell you where it is. <laughs> Listen, I'm not, Oliver and his books. I'm not trying Oliver and geography. Not a do shot. Do not. Do not. He would, I, he the would the other day I go, I go, what's the capital of Louisiana? Is it New Orleans? And he goes, no, mama. It's Baton Rouge. And it was like. <laughs> Listen. Okay. <laughs> Hit you with the baton rouge, just like that. I was like, I was like first of all, kid, I think you pronounced it wrong. But, <laughs> but he knew. He knew. Baton oh rouge. Um, baton rouge. I like it. Um, it's Boca Raton, though. And it's Baton Rouge. What? Sorry, I just like had this like... Isn't it Boca Raton? Are you messing with us? It's Raton. Is it really? Yeah, it's it's no, no, for like, real, like rat's mouth is be what the most serious you've ever been in your life. Like I'm, be, I, I'm being serious. It's okay, the rat's okay. mouth. I, Boca Raton. Boca Raton. It's a rat's mouth. Okay. Um, no, we got a lot of great questions um, that we have already answered. This one, though, Amanda from Canada just wanted to throw out there in case anybody else could relate. Does dental anxiety count for health anxiety? I used to have no fear of getting dental work done, but after jaw surgery, fillings, braces, tooth extractions, all before the age of 18, my teeth are weakened. I always get bad news from the dentist, et cetera. How do I get back to my fearless self? 
We had some That's strong fine. reactions from the the crowd there. That was the dentist is mine. I could give two. I mean, I could give two shits about the doctor. Like mm. I'll walk up in there, take my blood, do all of that. Couldn't care less. Uh, the dentist. I've gotten better with age. Um, a lot of my anxiety comes from mental health and things like that. And I have just over the last couple of years done really well at setting my own boundaries within that. Obviously that is very different than our, um, than our group member who's asking the question, but I've done really well at setting like boundaries and saying like, I don't need your shame. I don't need, like, I know I need to do the A, B and C. Like I get it. Please don't because that just makes me not like, and I'm sitting there like, Mm. Like, talk me through what you're doing, because when you shove something random in my mouth that I'm not used to, I'm like, oh, man. done. Mm. <laughs> in conclusion, right. a lot of people right. have dental anxiety. There it is. I think that's yes. very common. Um, it's very it might common. not be illness, anxiety disorder, but definitely health anxiety around the mm. dentist. Mm-hmm. absolutely so validating we're glad you're here to have these conversations with us talking about disorders talking about things that more universally we experience the worry the anxiety especially around health health is so mm-hmm. important especially it's one of those things i know k Ten shared about it i've talked about it that when we deal with health issues it's one of those things so quickly you have gratitude and it opens your eyes to all the days where you don't have to think about health and have health privilege but we're always grateful you're here hey stop someone random on the street and be like welcome to group therapy pot and just give them that look dead in the eyes we'd appreciate it review rate tell someone about it you don't have to be aggressive you can be you know kind of sweet about it and be like hey welcome to group therapy pa but we love when you spread the word you drop these in group chats and just say listen we always love that feedback but we'll see you all next time bye y'all bye bye peace <laughs>